you want to take your Bibles and open up to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 is where we are going to be this morning. As you turn to Acts chapter 14, I'm going to tell you about one of my favorite things as a kid. I'm not going to say Star Wars. That's probably what you're expecting. Um, but actually, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh man, I didn't expect that reaction. That is awesome. So, so for some of you young whippersnappers out there that might be wondering, what in the world are you talking about? Let me explain. As an elementary school age kid back in the 70s, uh, we only had four channels to watch TV on, and TV viewing for kids was pretty limited. And really the only time that as a kid you could watch cartoons was basically on Saturday morning, because all the channels had cartoons on on Saturday mornings. And can I tell you, I lived... Saturday mornings. I mean, after a hard week of the grind of elementary school, I could not wait until Saturday morning arrived. And so this is what my Saturday morning would look like, okay? So I would get up early because I wanted to be ready at seven o'clock when the cartoon started. And here's what I would do. I would take my blanket and I would lay it out in front of our television close enough because you had to turn the dial back in that day. And, and so I had that there. I had a big bowl of Cocoa Pebble cereal ready to go. I had some comic books and some action figures ready for the commercial breaks. I would turn on the TV and turn it on, you know, not too loud so I wouldn't wake anybody in the house. And I would just watch away and enjoy all my favorite Saturday morning cartoons. My favorite was a cartoon called The Super Friends which was made up of Superman, Batman and Robin, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman. But my second favorite cartoon was the Bugs Bunny show. Oh man, look at this. I love those characters, right? Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Elmer Fudd, and the gang. They were just hilarious. But one of my favorite ones was also the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. Now, um, I don't know if, you're, if you guys don't know who I'm talking about, go on YouTube after church today and just look up Roadrunner cartoon and you'll see what I'm talking about. But this coyote, he would crack me up because his main, his mission in life was to catch the Roadrunner. I mean, that's all the cartoon was about, was him trying to catch this Roadrunner. But no matter how much he tried, he always failed every single time. All of his plans, all of his traps, all of the things that he ordered would all backfire on him in some really painful and yet really hysterical ways at the same time, right? I mean, instead of trapping the roadrunner, the coyote would trap himself, right? Like the anvil would fall on his head or the bomb would explode in his face. And most often from not, for some reason, he would always fall off of a really high cliff down a very deep valley into a puff of smoke, right? It would go poof. And that was, you know, the demise of Wild E. Coyote. But you've got to give the coyote credit, right? Because he never gave up. No matter how much abuse the coyote suffered, he just kept on trying. And no matter how much pain the coyote bore, and it was a lot, right? He just, he never stopped. If there's one thing that you could say about Wild E. Coyote, is that he is tenacious no matter how much punishment he endured it did not deter the coyote from his mission the coyote just simply never quit now i don't know if anyone has ever attempted to compare wiley coyote to the apostle paul but that's what i'm about ready to do right now because paul is also extremely tenacious 
And he's also someone who never gave up, no matter how painful it was for Paul. And what we're going to see today in Acts chapter 14, we're going to see several painful things that Paul had to endure, and yet through it all, he tenaciously presses on with his mission and never gives up. I mean, as I read this passage over and over during the past couple of weeks, I kept coming back to the same question of how can Paul keep going? How can Paul keep doing what he's doing with all that is constantly coming against him? And my goal is, is that we answer that question this morning. This chapter is broken into four sections as Paul and Barnabas continue on their road trip of their first missionary journey. And today what I want us to do is we're going to look at these stops on these road trips one at a time, see what's happening at each stop, and see what we can learn from them. Now remember last week, if you were with us, when we were in Acts chapter 13, what Ryan took us through was Paul and Barnabas in their first stop on their missionary journey, which was in Antioch, where it told us in chapter 13, many people trusted in Christ. But there's also great opposition against those, uh, I, I'm sorry, there's great opposition that arose against Paul and Barnabas because of the message of Christ that they were proclaiming. And there's so much opposition against Paul and Barnabas. Verse 51 tells us that they basically, they had to get out of town. They had to leave and that's what they did. And they went to the town of Iconium and that's where things pick up in chapter 14 for us this morning. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first section, which is in verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bibles, you want to read along with me. It says this, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But, their unbe- but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord and bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people in the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with the rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now, it's a 98-mile journey from Antioch to Iconium. So this is a long journey to make on foot, but this is where Paul and Barnabas go next. And once they arrive in Iconium, what we see in verse 1 is that they have this immediate success, right? That many Jews and Greeks believe many of them are trusting in Jesus for salvation. But once again, opposition quickly arose. Because in verse 2, we see that the unbelieving Jews are stirring up the Gentiles, poisoning their minds against the message of the gospel that Paul and Barnabas are proclaiming. Yet, what we read is this opposition doesn't deter Paul or Barnabas at all, right? Because verse 3 tells us that they decide to stay for a long time in Iconium. They are no hurry to leave this town where the people are starting to get stirred up against them. Verse 3 also tells us that they are speaking boldly for the Lord. They're speaking with boldness when opposition is coming their way. 
They are bearing witness to the word of the Lord's grace, which I would say the Lord's grace is the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that they're performing signs and wonders in order to authenticate the message that they are proclaiming. The pressure of opposition may be ramping up against Paul and Barnabas, and yet Paul and Barnabas respond to the pressure by ramping up their continued proclamation of the gospel. Yet the opposition continues to grow in verse 4 and 5, right? The town becomes more divided, and we see that there's an attempt made to not only mistreat Paul and Barnabas, but to actually stone them as well. We see in verse 6 that this plan to kill Paul and Barnabas has been revealed to them, and they finally decide at that moment that it's time for them to head out of town. So what they decide to do is travel 20 miles to the next stop on their road trip, the town of Lystra. And verse 7 tells us that on their way that they continue to preach the gospel. They continue to preach the good news of Jesus. This opposition and this threat on their life once again does not stop Paul and Barnabas from preaching the good news of Jesus which should make us stop and wonder why. Why do they continue to preach Jesus when such opposition arises and threat of life is upon them? Why do they continue to preach Jesus even though once again the heat is so intense that they have to flee the town that they are in? I believe the answer to this question for Paul and Barnabas is this. Jesus matters the most proclaiming jesus matters more to paul than being safe and secure this is why paul is willing to risk opposition and persecution because for him jesus matters more than anything and when paul and barnabas arrive at lystra their next stop they have this very unexpected thing that happens to them this is stop number two in our road trip here in 14, and this is in verses 8 through 18, if you want to read along with me. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices and saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard it, they tore their garments and rushed out to the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. He made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. 
Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. So Paul is preaching the gospel at Lystra, and there's this crippled man in the crowd who's listening to Paul. He's never walked in his entire life. And Paul notices that this crippled man has faith to be healed, which must have been revealed to Paul by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul goes ahead and heals this man. And what happens after this healing is pretty unexpected, right? Instead of giving glory to God for the healing, which is what they should do, the people proclaim that Barnabas is the Greek god Zeus and Paul to be Hermes. And not only that, the people also want to offer sacrifices to them, which Paul and Barnabas have this really strong re reaction to, right? It says that they tear their garments, says that they rush to the crowd, and that they begin crying out this message of the gospel that we see in verses 15 through 17. And the way that Paul presents the gospel to the people at Lystra is way different than the way Paul uh, preaches the gospel to the people in Antioch that we saw in chapter 13. Remember in chapter 13, Paul is preaching to a primarily Jewish crowd, right? That's why Paul started in the Old Testament and recalled the Old Testament in order to connect it all to Jesus. And that's not what Paul does here. Paul takes a completely different tactic in his message because he's definitely not preaching to a Jewish crowd here. Instead, this is a very Gentile crowd, and they have no knowledge of the God of the Bible, let alone Jesus. So Paul takes this into consideration and preaches a very different message to him. We're going to see this tactic often by Paul as we continue to go through the book of Acts. People, Paul begins where the people are. He takes into consideration their culture and their context, and he begins to preach the good news of Jesus to them in that way. Which is helpful for us too, right? That when we think about sharing Jesus with others, we need to meet them where they are and consider their context in a way that would be most helpful for them to understand who Jesus is. And Paul reminds the people that, hey, we are men just like you. We are no different than you. That they are just messengers. Paul said that he is messengers of the good news. He is a messenger of the gospel. He is a messenger of Jesus Christ. And this is a brief synopsis of probably a lengthy sermon that he preached to them. This idea that God is the one who is great. That God is the one who healed this man. That God is the one who created all things. That God has been generous to give them good things. And that these things are meant to point them to God himself. This is how God is revealing himself to him. Even in this healing, this is the way God is revealing himself to them. And the response to this is that they are to turn away from the vain things like Zeus and Hermes and trust in the one true and living God instead. And Paul does all of this because Jesus matters most. Paul wants all the attention off of himself and onto God. I think that's why Paul and Barnabas tear their clothes in protest, because Jesus matters the most. This is why Paul, it says that he rushes out to the crowd and begins to cry out to them, because Jesus matters the most. This is why Paul call, calls the people to turn away from vain things and points them to the good news, because Jesus matters the most. But then things take a turn for the worse in our section in 19 through 23. 
More opposition is coming to Paul and Barnabas, and this time, this persecution cannot be avoided. Look with me in those verses. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them and every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord with whom they had believed." So remember those upset Jews that we saw back in Jerusalem and Iconium? Well, they're still upset at Paul. As a matter of fact, they are so upset, they traveled a 120-mile journey themselves in order to get to Lystra and stir up those people as well. And that's exactly what the Jews accomplish. They get the people of Lystra, which is quite incredible to think about. They just got done worshiping Paul as a god, And then they drag him out into the city, stone him, and leave him for dead. That is a drastic turn of events in this town. But Paul is not dead yet. Instead, Paul miraculously gets up. Now, it doesn't say it, but obviously God is the one working in Paul's life in order for him to recover from a stoning that by all appearances has killed him. And the first thing that Paul does is amazing he goes back into the city. Like, that is the last place I would go. And yet, that's what Paul does. He goes back into the city that tried to kill him. And this this just shows the resilience of Paul, right? Persecution comes to Paul in a very painful way. And yet, he is unmoved. And why does Paul do this? Well, when Jesus matters the most, this is what you do. As a matter of fact, the only way that Paul can do this is when Jesus matters the most. And then the next day, the road trip continues. Now Paul and Barnabas are going to travel 58 miles down to the next town of Derby, and they preach the gospel there, which is incredible on two ways, right? First way is this, that Paul can make a 58-mile road trip the day after being stoned and left for dead, And two, that Paul is determined to preach the gospel right after being stoned and being left for dead. But that's what you do when Jesus matters the most. And after spending time in Derby and preaching the good news of the gospel and seeing many people believe in Jesus and become disciples in Jesus, Paul and Barnabas come up with this great idea, right? Hey, let's go back to all those towns that we got persecuted in. And that's exactly what they do. They go to Lystra, they go to Iconium, and they go to Antioch. All three towns where Paul either was persecuted or threatened with persecution. Which makes you wonder, why in the world would Paul put himself at risk in that way? I mean, why would you intentionally put yourself in harm's way? Well, that's what you do when Jesus matters the most. 
And notice what Paul does in these towns as they revisit them. They go to these towns and they proclaim these things for the sake of the believers that we find in verse 22. They want to strengthen the souls of the disciples. They want to encourage them to continue in the faith. And they want to remind them that the way to the kingdom of God is through many tribulations. And they also appoint elders in the churches. And all of these things that Paul is doing and saying in these towns and to these believers is that they are, he's wanting to remind them that above all, Jesus matters the most. And the road trip continues in verses 24 through 28. Read this with me. And they passed through Pisidia and came to Palamphia. And when they had spoken the word at Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So Paul and Barnabas slowly worked their way back to Antioch revisiting many of the towns that they went to back in chapter 13. And it says that they are speaking the word to them all. All along the way, they never stopped preaching the gospel of Jesus. And there's two real significant phrases in this section that I want us to focus in on. The first one is in verse 26, where it says that they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. I want you to notice a couple of things here. In the first half of the phrase, it says that they have been commended to the grace of God for the work. They had been given a job. They had this task of taking the message of the grace of God, the good news of Jesus, to all the cities that they went to. This was their mission. And notice the second half of that phrase. It says the work that they had fulfilled. They accomplished that which they had been called to. Was it easy for them? Absolutely not. Was there hardship? Absolutely there was. Yet the gospel prevailed. They fulfilled the work that they had been called to do. Why? Because the gospel will overcome every obstacle. The gospel will triumph over every opposition. The work of the gospel always, without a doubt, will be fulfilled. And how did the gospel accomplish all of this? The answer is found in this phrase in verse 27, where it says, They declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Notice who they are giving credit to in this verse. They are giving all the credit to God. God is the one who does the work. God is the one who opens the door of faith. The gospel will always prevail because there is power in the gospel. Because God's power is working when God's message is being delivered. And nothing can overcome the power of God, and nothing can overcome his message, no matter how strong or how much opposition there may be. And this brings us to the end of chapter 14. So what I want to conclude with this morning are two takeaways and one question. The first takeaway is this. There is power 
in the good news of the gospel. I mean, that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And we see the power of this gospel, this message, this good news of Jesus on display in Acts chapter 14. I mean, it changes people's lives. Disciples were made in every single stop, in every single town along the way where Paul went in chapter 14. It emboldened Paul and the disciples to continue to preach the gospel when there was so much opposition coming against them. It healed this lame man. Only the power of Jesus can cause a, a person to walk for the very first time. It saved Paul from certain death. It built up the churches in all of these cities. And I believe it even emboldened the disciples in the towns that they were in. I mean, think about this. Paul and Barnabas felt the heat in these towns and had to leave. But yet all those believers in that town, they had to stay, right? This is the place where they lived and worked. They had no option to, but to stay where that opposition was. And yet it looks like the gospel emboldened these disciples that the church continued to grow in these cities. The gospel is powerful. And the second thing is that the gospel will always prevail. No persecution can stop the spread of the gospel. The gospel continued to spread in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, and it will continue to grow and spread today as well. There is nothing that can stop the spread of the gospel. No matter how intense the persecution is, it will not defeat the gospel. No long-distant traveling mob can stop the gospel. No stoning or execution can stop the gospel. No threat of mistreatment can stop the gospel. Not even a misinterpretation of the gospel can stop the gospel. My hope for you today, that in looking at Acts chapter 14, that no matter how much opposition may come our way and may come against us, God will always overcome. And that seeing how God overcome great opposition in Acts chapter 14 will give you great trust and great confidence in the Lord and what he is doing you and in your life and in the world around us as well. There's nothing today that is going to come against us that's going to stop the spread of the gospel. No matter what the cultural tide may be saying and what social media may be proclaiming, it cannot stop the gospel. So the final question I have for you this morning is this. Does Jesus matter most to you? You may be wondering this morning, man, how can I live the way Paul lived in Acts chapter 14? Man, that's a question I kept coming back to over and over again. Or you may be sitting here this morning and going, man, nope, that's not me. There's no way I can live the way Paul did in Acts chapter 14. Well, the only way you can is when Jesus matters the most to you. Because you see, when you see Jesus as your most precious treasure, your greatest good, your highest reward, and your most prized possession, the way we did when I read uh, Philippians chapter 3 this morning, and when you see that Jesus is your constant strength and your reliable encouragement and faithful sustainer, 
when you see that Jesus is the all-sufficient, all-satisfying one for your soul, then Jesus will matter the most to you. And when this happens, when Jesus matters the most, you can take a risk. You can be bold. You can proclaim Christ. You can stand for him. And you can endure hardship. And you can handle persecution. And you can lose it all. Because when Jesus matters the most, nothing else really matters. But I'm guessing you might be like me this morning. And as I've been thinking through this passage and asking the question, does Jesus really matter the most to me? I mean, that's a very good self-evaluating question, and yet it can be a hard, convicting question as well. I mean, we can say, yeah, I mean, Jesus really matters a whole lot. But when push comes to shove, like I did with Paul, will Jesus really matter the most in those pressure situation moments in life? When the heat is turned up, will I be able to stand? And I'll be honest, when I ask that question myself, I find myself thinking, well, I think I will. But there's always that little bit of doubt, right? That makes you think, ah, man, I'm not sure. I mean, would I cave in those high-pressure moments? I mean, I want to be able to say yes, but I'm just not really sure. So the question is, how can we grow in this area? How can we become more confident that we can say, yes, Jesus matters the most to me, especially in those high-pressure moments? And I hope that you are asking these questions too this morning. Because if you are, I believe that is the first sign that the Spirit is working and stirring these things in our heart. And I pray that you continue to ask those questions, that you continue to ask the Spirit to help you. But I want to circle back to those two main takeaways this morning as I wrap up this morning. First is this. In answering the question of how can I say Jesus matters the most to me is to remember that there is power in the gospel. Now, when we see there's power in the gospel to change your life, then there's power in the gospel to help you to be able to say, yes, Jesus does matter the most to me. There is power in the gospel to work in you what you do not think that you can do on your own. And this is the great thing about the gospel, is Jesus gives you the power to do the things that Jesus has called you to do. So asking Jesus to help you make Jesus matter the most in your life is a good thing that Jesus wants us to ask. He will work these things in us. And then remember that the gospel will always prevail. The gospel always gives us the hope that it will do what it says it will do. Remember what we saw in verses 26 and 27. The work that they had been commended to, they fulfilled, and they declared all that God had done with them. God accomplished all the work that God had called them to do. Against all odds and against all opposition, the gospel prevails. And so in the same way in our lives, to want to declare that Jesus matters most, we are called to trust that God will accomplish the work that God has called us to do and that he will do that no matter what opposition may come our way as well. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is a promise that God has made to us that we are to rest in and say, God, work this in me and be about making Jesus matter most in our lives by the power of Jesus for the glory of God.
Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us make Jesus matter the most. You are good. You are so good. And even now, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would remind us again the goodness of who you are in your death and resurrection. That this is what you accomplished for us. We thank you. It's in your name. Amen.